This morning's reading is Mark chapter 10, verses 32 to 52, and can be found on page 1017 in the Church Bibles. Jesus again predicts his death. They were on their way to Jerusalem, with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flogging and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. The request of James and John. Then James and John, the son of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? he asked. They replied, Let one of us sit on your right and the other on your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those who, for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give him his life as a ransom for many. Blind Bartimaeus receives his sight. Then they came to Jericho, as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, that is, son of Timaeus, was sitting at the roadside, begging when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth. And he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want with me to do 
What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. This is the word of the Lord. In our look at Mark's account of Jesus' life and teaching, we've reached this particular point. And you can see from both the Bible and the outline that um, it falls into three episodes. There's the, the point where Jesus pr- again predicts his death. There's this astonishing request of uh, James and John. And there is the blind Bartimaeus receiving his sight. But we pick it up with Mark's opening comment, verse 32. They were on their way to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Now why were they astonished? Why were they afraid? Well, we don't have to speculate. We merely look to uh, other accounts and we find in John's Gospel, in 11, chapter 11, 7 to 8, we find him saying this, Then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. Judea is the province in which Jerusalem is located. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you're going back there? Well, you'd think to yourself, wouldn't you? If that's what happened to your leader you will think, is he daft going back there again? And you'd be worried because if you're with him, maybe that stoning might happen to you. So again, he takes the 12 aside and he told them what was going to happen to him. Verse 33, we're going up to Jerusalem. He said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law, they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Now the Son of Man is the one who in Daniel is predicted to come from heaven, a divine visitor to earth. Will be betrayed? Jesus knew they would not take him in broad daylight. Like all raids, they take place under the cover of darkness. He was far too popular to risk an open confrontation. But to find him in the hills around Jerusalem, around the Mount of Olives, at the time of pilgrimage, when there would have been tens of thousands, if not 100,000 people, would not be easy. You would need an insider to lead you to the precise place that Jesus could be found. You would need a betrayer, and that would be Judas. To the chief priests and teachers of the law, they will condemn him to death. It was the religious leaders of this failed system of salvation who were challenged by Jesus, and they wanted to get rid of him to maintain their religious monopoly, and they wanted to get him on a charge of blasphemy. But although blasphemy in their system was a capital offence, under the Roman occupation they they had no power to execute it. And hence, we read Jesus' prediction, they will have to hand him over to the Gentiles, to the Roman authorities, who, as we know, 
did mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And as we know, three days later, he rose from the dead. Earlier, it's recorded in Mark's Gospel, uh, Jesus had put this kind of prediction this way. He said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the chief priests, blah, blah, blah. Now, the word must is a very strong word. It means it is necessary. He has to follow this trajectory. This is what he must do. This is his mission. Whenever I see the bridge over the River Kwai kind of advertised on telly, it reminds me of a book I read in my late teens. It was Ernest Gordon's Miracle on the River Kwai. In it, the Scottish soldiers, forced by their Japanese captors to labour on a jungle railroad, had degenerated into barbarous behaviour amongst themselves. But one afternoon, something happened. A shovel was missing. The Japanese officer in charge became enraged. He demanded that the missing shovel be produced or else. When nobody in the Labour gang budged, the officer got out his gun and threatened to kill them on the spot. It was obvious that he meant it. Then finally one man stepped forward. The officer put away his gun, picked up the shovel and beat him to death. When it was over, the survivors picked up the body, carried it back to the camp and a second check on the tools took place. This time, no shovel was missing. Indeed, there had been a miscount at the first checkpoint. Word spread like wildfire through the camp that an innocent man, one who didn't need to, had been willing to die to save the others. Now, Jesus knew that the Father being holy had to judge all that are unholy. The punishment had to be banishment from his presence, death. No man or woman could stand before him on judgment day and not be banished to eternal death, exclusion from the presence of God forever. Unless, that is, someone, someone who himself is holy, took his place and suffered that exclusion for him. Well, no human being has ever been perfect. You would need a divine substitute to be perfect, to take that role. But you'd need him also to be human in order to represent the human race before God the Father. And hence we have God's solution to this. The Son voluntarily comes from heaven, the second person of the Trinity, who came to earth. Being divine, he was able to be perfect. Being human, He could represent us, and he did so. And on the cross, he would get excluded from the presence of God. And he died there so that you and I might never be excluded. Now that incident on the River Kwai had a profound effect. The men began to treat each other like brothers. Ernest Gordon, who himself was a prisoner of war, under the Japanese, wrote, 
When the victorious allies swept in, the survivors, human skeletons, lined up in front of their captors, and instead of attacking their captors, insisted, no more hatred, no more killing. Now what we need is forgiveness. Sacrificial love has a transforming power. And so too today, the sacrifice of Christ has a transforming effect on those who appreciate it and claim the benefits of it for themselves. Forgiven themselves, they are enabled by the risen Christ to forgive others and to behave like proper human beings. And then to Jerusalem. Why? Because it was necessary that it took place there. And Jesus walks steadily towards what he knows will be pain and death. Then we have in uh, verses uh, 35 to 45 the request of James and John. Let one of us sit at your right hand and the other your left in your glory. Well, given what we've just read and had explained, that is a remarkable request. Either they have totally failed to appreciate Jesus' coming trial and death, or they've realised something of the kingdom of God coming in power because they had witnessed the transfiguration of Jesus back on Mount Hermon, recorded in Mark 8, where Jesus describes Jesus then therefore describes their request as ignorant. He says, you don't know what you're asking. In fact, they're doubly ignorant. Firstly, they have misunderstood what being close to Jesus involved. Otherwise, they might never have made this request. It was the two crucified criminals that were with Jesus at his greatest victory. And it's to this suffering that he refers in the reference to the cup and the baptism. Can you drink this cup I drink? Or be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with? The cup of God's wrath and the baptism into his death. Obviously they can't share Christ's unique suffering for sins But as Jesus agrees, suffering and sacrifice is the path that they will have to follow if they follow him, as James was later to discover when he was the first apostle to be martyred. Well, 39, they say, we can. Jesus said to them, well, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with. Verse 40 marks Jesus' continual service in heaven. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Earlier, each year, I usually spend a day with one of my oldest friends and we go up one of our favourite Welsh mountains uh, really just to see if we can still do it really. So far the mountains do tend to get a bit kind of lower but we still get up some of them. And uh, 
He has a unique, well, fairly kind of rare combination. He's from the valleys in South Wales. His family are a mixture of miners and entrepreneurs. And he has brains and a common touch. He's the kind of guy you'd find running uh, a successful multinational, which in one sense he did. He used to be the General Secretary of the International Fellowship of Evangelical Students. Like our UCCF here, when he started, it operated in 120 countries. Now there are only 26 countries in the world in which it doesn't operate. That is better than most multinationals. And of course the dividends for that work are eternal <coughs> and they're secure. He'd obviously given up a lot in order to be used by God in that kind of work. But he's also been tested very severely in his life. His second child never got out of the special care baby unit and died at three months of age. While he was in Mali, he picked up a virus which caused severe heart problems and it nearly killed him. But his life, I would reflect and reckon that he has judged it to be worth it. I'm sure that he will be one of those who will be well rewarded in the kingdom of heaven. And the second reason why Jesus can describe them as ignorant is because they and the rest of the twelve have the wrong attitude to authority. Despite what he's just told them, they think it's all about status. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. So you've got two ways of life there contrasted. There is the Gentile way, the worldly way, where leaders lord it over people, where they demand their rights and want their privileges. And there is the Christian way, the way of service, the recognition that we have responsibilities and the need to carry out our duties. When I was a curate, um, I went along to church one Saturday morning and I was a little surprised to see the chairman of a multi-million pound company and the chiefs of there of a well-known company cleaning the loos. Their spare cash could have paid somebody to do that every week. And yet they chose to be part of the rota so that when their house group had the, the task of cleaning the church that Saturday morning, they would go and do it. And they chose to do perhaps the dirtiest job. That was part of their Christian service. Some perhaps lesser men, inhibited by their status sinking, would not have allowed themselves to do such a thing. Christian ministry, though, is all about service and not status. Service seekers, not status seekers. Following the example of Jesus himself. 
And then we have verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. That's worth unpacking. The Son of Man, the master and ruler of the universe, came, the pre-existent one from heaven, not to be served, although it was his right to be served. He did not count equality with God as something to hang on to, we read elsewhere. But to serve, to meet our needs, not our wants. Our needs are for forgiveness and the gift of eternal life and a clear conscience. And he gave his life. He died, which is the ultimate descent. A ransom for many, paying for what we could not. I read a story um, at the back end of last year about um, an American student called Rhea Shannon. Her father had so wanted her and her brothers to to go to university, that he had re-enlisted in the United States Army. Sadly, though, at the end of last year, he died whilst on active service in Afghanistan. The loss of her father broke her heart in more ways than one, because she was left with debts of $54,000 in loans from the bank. And her father had been her guarantor. So the banks would foreclose on that and she'd be bankrupt and she'd not be able to continue her study. Her story made CNN. And her story was heard by uh, Ashlyn Haycock, a tragedy assistance programme for survivors, whose own parents had both died in military service. Now, her organisation wasn't able to help, but when she heard that Shannon's loans were through J.P. Morgan Chase, Haycock reached out to the bank immediately. She says, we sent them an email with a link to the story and they called us back within two hours. The debt was written off through J.P. Morgan Chase's military survivor programme. It was a kind gesture, but of course of minute cost to the bank. A much more costly sacrifice also took place at the end of last year in October in Hawija in Iraq when a daring rescue mission took place because around 70 hostages were imprisoned by ISIS militants. But Master Sergeant Joseph Wheeler, who was 39, paid the ultimate price. He lost his life during the assault to free them. The military rescue took place because intelligence had discovered that executions were imminent, including the digging of the graves for the hostages. Jesus' sacrifice similarly enabled those trapped by sin, trapped by the pressure of their peer group, and trapped by the wiles of the devil to be similarly rescued. 
And then finally, blind Bartimaeus receives his sight. He's pretty much down uh, the low end of the social spectrum because in their erroneous thinking, they thought if you were in some ways uh, handicapped, that that must be either because of your sin or because of your parents' sin. But it's a wonderfully clear example. Uh, It's a kind of visual aid of conversion. Because to become a Christian is really to see reality rather than spend life groping around in the dark. I can remember as a student a rather comic poster of a, as a cartoon poster of a blind man with his stick going closer and closer towards the edge of a precipice whilst his guide dog was pulling him in that direction. And of course, at the bottom of the precipice was a whole pile of dead dogs and dead blind men because the way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but it is the way that leads to destruction. There are many of all ages who go through life blind to reality. They think they're wise, or they think they're cool, but they are really foolish. Whatever age we are, we know them amongst our contemporaries. We may have even been them at some time in our life ourselves. And, of course, we all risk being them. When Anna and John were very young and we lived in the annex and the car park was a garden and this was the car park, um, I remember sitting in what is now Janet and Sarah's office watching a guy called Marcus play with them in the garden. Marcus had killed someone. Years before, he got drunk. In fact, he was an alcoholic. And while drunk, he killed another wino. Anyway, he got imprisoned, he sobered up, and with the help of the AA, that's Alcoholics Anonymous, he got a job, and they helped him, and they held him to account. At that time, we had a number of church members who were also members of AA, Recovering Alcoholics. And Marcus came to be in my garden because his sponsor, or buddy, had got a call from Marcus that morning saying that Marcus had lost his job. And he realised that Marcus was very depressed and he was worried that he might do something silly to himself. And so although he was 4,000 miles away on business, he'd rung me to ask if I could look after Marcus until he could get another AA member to come and take him home. Now, I knew he'd been a killer, but I realised he was no threat to the children. He was so full of remorse for what he'd foolishly done, and I was incredibly impressed with the care that he was getting from his mates in AA, who were also members of our church. A whole range of things seem cool or right, but are really foolish. For example, not bothering at college. It's so much harder to catch up later, even if that's possible. 
doing drugs which could not only mess up your brains, but could adversely affect your job prospects. Sleeping around, sexually transmitted diseases could be fatal. They could also make you sterile. Being over risky in business, that extra deal, which is really just greed, which leads you into bankruptcy, or that loan for something that you want but you don't need, or the midlife crisis, the pathetic image of the last chance trendy and the younger woman, or the woman of a certain age, usually a bit older, who when the last child has flown the nest, embarks upon some tragic flight of fancy. It's as, if, it's as if they are blinded to the folly of all those ways. How in need of having their eyes opened by Jesus Christ. As this episode illustrates, Bartimaeus cries out, not to anyone, but to the son of David, the expected Messiah, who he knows can enable him to see. He persisted in the face of opposition. He wasn't put off. He knew his need. He came to Jesus. He knew Jesus could give him his sight. He begged him for it, and he was given his sight, and quite naturally then followed Jesus. If you are wandering around dangerously in the dark, then turn to Jesus. He will open your eyes to avoid the dangers of the fool. He can make you whole. He can give you life in all its fullness. So, attitude is really crucially important. Jesus so showed great resolution in his life's mission. And in a secondary sense, we too should have resolved to live the Christian life. It is a race, it's a marathon. We're aiming to get to that kind of winning, finishing tape where we are awarded the victor's crown, where we are awarded a place in heaven. Whether that comes when we die or whether it comes when Jesus returns, whichever comes first. That is our resolution, that is our resolve to get there. Service, other person-centred, rather than putting ourselves first. And faith, trust in Jesus leads to forgiveness. And with forgiveness and peace with God comes understanding. By understanding God's narrative on existence, we truly see. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that we might see the benefits of Jesus' life and death for us, that we might appropriate them, and in doing so we might have the kind of resolution that he had, the kind of service he exhibited, and faith so that we can be forgiven and that we can understand. Amen. <laughs>